to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 29th of August 2010, entitled, I Am Resolved, and the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Romans chapter 1, and beginning with verse 14. Apostle Paul, under inspiration, writing to the church at Rome, said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For well, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, we thank you again this evening, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be in your house. Lord, now over these next minutes together, we pray that as we look into your word, Lord, that by the power of your spirit that you would take and speak to each and every heart that is present. You know the needs. Father, all that's done, we want you to receive all the glory and honor for it. For in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. You can keep your finger there in Romans. We're going to be coming back there in, in just a moment. But if you turn back into, your, into the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Kings, I'd like to uh, read a passage from 2 Kings chapter 7 there. Really as, I think, a great illustration of what we have just read from Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Second Kings chapter 7, let's pick up, begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 16. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, Two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. There were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. They said one to another, Why sit we here? until we die. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. They rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. They said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and 
carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it, came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city. They told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. The king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will not show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come in out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. One of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. They took therefore two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. They went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. The people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. We find that in this account, this account begins with a prophecy that makes no sense whatsoever because these people are under siege. We find that it didn't even make sense that what he was saying was going to happen could even possibly happen, but yet we know that it did. We find that, of course, this is in the days of Elisha the prophet, and he's actually inside of the capital city of northern Israel that was called Samaria. The Syrian army had surrounded the city. There was no way to get food into the city, and so therefore that's why there was a famine, because they were all hungry. There were four men that were sitting at the gate of the city that the Bible tells us here had, had leprosy. They were outcast because of the disease that they had. They were starving along with everyone else. They knew that Really, the only thing they had to look forward to was death. If they went in the city, they were going to die. If they stayed out of the city, they were going to die. So it didn't seem that there was any hope for them, anything except death that was before them. In verse 3 and 4 here, we find these men with the leprosy having a discussion with each other. They conclude, well, you know, if we just sit outside the city, we're going to die. There's no question about that. If we go into the city, we're going to die because... There's nothing in there to eat either. So they decide that they're going to go to the enemy where the Syrians are camped out. They figure, well, if the Syrians by some miracle spare us, then at least we've got a chance of living. If they kill us, we haven't lost anything because we're going to die anyway if we stay here and do nothing. Verse 5 tells us that they, they got to the camp of the Syrians and to their great surprise, there were no Syrians. The camp had been completely deserted. The tents were there. Their animals had been left behind. Their wealth had been left behind. We find that 
God had moved during the night upon the, the Syrian camp. They'd heard noises of chariots that were coming. They'd heard the horses. They'd heard a great army coming upon them. The whole army panicked and ran for their lives, leaving everything they had behind in the camp. Leopards said they, they went into the first tent. They found food, and they began to eat and drink and make themselves happy, and they, they found things that were valued, the silver, the gold, the clothing, and they began to carry it away and to hide it somewhere where they'd know that it was at. They went into the second tent. They began to do the same thing, but then in verse 9, something came to them. They decided that what they were doing was wrong. They shouldn't be doing it. They said that, you know, this, this is a day of, of great joy for us. It's not something that we should be quiet about and keep to ourselves. They needed to go tell someone else about it. Conclusion, they needed to go to the gates, and they needed to let the people in the city know just what was happening. So they went back to the gate, and they told the gatekeeper the, the great news that uh, the Syrian army had, had gone, and they'd left behind all of their food and wealth and everything. And, of course, for all practical purposes, that was exactly what was needed to end their problem, which was the famine that was taking place. They took this report to the king, and he was suspicious he wasn't sure. He said, ah, oh, those Syrians are trying to trick us. They're really just kind of hiding out there in the woods. They're going to wait for us to come into the city, and then they're just going to come in on top of us, and they're going to destroy us. We find that they needed to check it out, though. So They sent men out, and they checked it out, and they found that there were no Syrians. As a matter of fact, there was a trail of other things. When they left on the run, they were dropping things and leaving things along the way because they were just trying to run for their lives we find that the people of the city then all went to the camp. They ended up finding more than enough for what they needed to eat and for their needs to be met. If we think of that story and keep that in mind and look back into Romans chapter 1 where we begin in verses 14 to 17, believe that the Apostle Paul is showing his resolve here concerning a visit that he's about to make to the city of Rome, and he's going there to share some good news with them. Now, Paul and we ourselves, as far as that goes, can find ourselves looking at these lepers, and we can find a lot of things that are parallel there. You know, if we die in the state without the Lord Jesus Christ, then fact is, is that's all we've got to look forward to is death. We find that if we go to the Lord, though, there's a possibility of life. Anybody that just sits there, even when they've heard it, there's absolutely no hope whatsoever. But we know. We have that confidence as we've been singing about this evening that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried in that tomb, and He rose again the third day. And, of course, the debt that we owed God because we sinned against Him was paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do as the Word of God tells us to do, we come to Him by faith, trusting in Him to do what He said that He would do. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ will enter into our lives and He'll save us and He'll forgive us for all of our sins and He'll bring in that joy and peace and happiness. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we 
Glanced at that verse this morning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Unlike those lepers that we read about in Second Kings, you see, our lives have been spared. The le- lepers that we read about in Second Kings chapter 7, they concluded that they had an obligation because of the fact that their lives had been spared. And they had an obligation to share that news with others that were facing the same fate that they were facing. We find that Paul concluded that he had an obligation. He had an obligation to tell others the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. He had an obligation to tell people about the forgiveness that he had found for his sin, the eternal life that had been given to him. That's what we find he begins here in our reading in verse 14. He says, I am debtor. I am debtor, meaning that he had a a responsibility to share this that he had found. The lepers didn't just sense an obligation to share what they had discovered for themselves, but after enjoying it for themselves, after enjoying the food and the beverages and the riches that they had found, they were ready and they went eagerly to share that discovery with others. Of course, Paul was the same way. He was ready to share what he said here in verse 15, I am ready to preach. The lepers didn't show any hesitancy to go to the city of Samaria and to boldly proclaim that the enemy had been defeated without lifting a hand. He had been taken care of for them. That now all their needs had been met. They went right up to the city gates and they began to tell them the good news, even though they knew that they probably wouldn't believe them anyway, but they knew it was the truth. They knew they had an obligation to share it. They were ready to do so. They weren't really too worried about what uh, the people were going to think. They knew that the right thing for them to do was to share what they'd found for themselves. Just like those lepers, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't ashamed to share the great news that he had found, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 16, he says that he is not ashamed. Why? Because the power is the, it's, the gospel is the, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It'll do for every one of them exactly what it had done for him. We see three simple things here that the Apostle Paul really said in these three verses. First, he said, I am debtor. Second, he said, I am ready. And thirdly, he said, I am not ashamed. Well, it's just to look at those three phrases. I am debtor. Anybody here not know what it's like to be in debt? <laughs> I can give you some great illustrations if you've never been there yourself. Of course, debt's very easy to understand. Debt is something that puts us under obligation to someone else. We owe someone something else. And of course, we find that already the fact is, is that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, We know that we're a debtor for the sins that we have. The Lord Jesus Christ paid that debt for us, but that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. This debtor that owes something, we find that someone has done something nice for you sometimes. Sometimes you feel like that you owe it to them to do something in return, to recompense them for what they have done for you. Well, Paul claims here to be a debtor to the Greeks, Uh, all those who had uh, adopted the Greek way of life in his day. 
but he's also a debtor to the barbarians, those not knowing Greek and therefore the uncultured in the day. So whether they were cultured or uncultured or wherever they came from, we find that he says that he owes them a debt. He's also debt to the wise and to the unwise. Whatever their level of intelligence and learning, that makes no difference. He says he owes them a debt. He was debtor to the Gentile. He was debtor to the Gentile to preach the gospel. You know what's really interesting about this, if we stop and, and, and look at it, that that was precisely what God had in mind for the Apostle Paul before that he ever saved him. Uh, look back at what he said in Acts chapter 26, what our Lord said to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 26, verses 16 and 17. He said, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles and to whom now I send thee. The guy literally, he just met the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just got saved. God said, now get up because I have a purpose for your life. I've saved you for a purpose. That purpose is that you're going to carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul had an obligation. He had an obligation to specifically preach the gospel. What makes us today obligated that we might feel that we're a debtor as he was? What makes us debtors today? Are we debtors? Do we actually owe a debt to share our faith with someone else? Well, I say yes that we do just as assuredly as the Apostle Paul did. That we ought to be sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, because we are just as much a debtor as he was. Why? Well, first of all, because of God's goodness to us. If you're saved, you're saved only because of God's grace. Because God loved you so much that he was willing to save you undeservedly. None of us deserve to be saved. It was God's wonderful goodness. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't take any credit for it. So our salvation rests solely, totally, completely in the goodness and the grace of the God that saved us. We find that surely... That puts us under an obligation. When we're satisfied with something, even most of the time in this life, we've often heard, you know, that even in marketing, that the greatest advertising in the world is a satisfied customer. When you go somewhere and you get something that you're really excited about and you think that you've got the, the best deal of your life, what do you want to do? You want to tell your friends about it so that they can get in on the deal too. Find that... We ought to have that same kind of excitement when it comes to thinking about the goodness of what the Lord's done to us. If we're truly satisfied with what God has done in our lives, then we ought to be desiring to share it just simply because it's so great and it's so good that we want everybody to know about it. But we're not debtors solely just because of God's goodness, but also because of our knowledge 
You know, when we know something that somebody else needs to know, those lepers, they knew something that nobody else in that city knew. Nobody else knew that the Syrian army had run away during the night. But they knew something. They had a knowledge. They felt they had an obligation to share it. Of course, we find that natural in life. I mean, you know, it's one thing. I mean, maybe you're driving down the road in your car. You find out, I mean, that maybe a, uh, a flash flood has come along and suddenly you come upon a bridge that's been washed out. Well, what do you do? You're going to get out there and you're going to warn those other people that are coming. You're walking down the road. You notice the flames coming out of some house and yet the people don't seem to know. Who's going to just walk by and not bother to go and, and knock on the door and, and tell them that, hey, do you realize that there's, there's a fire here and you need, to, you need to get out? And, of course, that can go right through our lives. There's many times that we know things. We have a knowledge about something that nobody else does, and yet that knowledge that we have can sometimes maybe just be beneficial or sometimes actually save their lives because we have an obligation because of that which we know. I look around this evening. Probably not anybody here that couldn't quote John 3.16. I mean, wow. Do you not think the whole world needs to know? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And yet do you realize that we take for granted? We know that. We have that knowledge. And yet there's people all around us that simply don't know. They've never been told. Nobody's ever shared that wonderful truth with them. How many can quote the next two verses? Verses 17 and 18. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, that knowledge is twofold. We know the greatness of the love of God and what he wants to do for us. But we also have another knowledge, and that's the consequences of not accepting that love. We know consequences of what's going to happen if that person does not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why would we not tell them? Do we, do we not feel that we're in debt, that we owe them? Because we know something that's not just going to save their life now, but would save them for eternity would we leave that same person asleep in their bed at night when the house was on fire and not warn them? Would we let them walk into a trap that we knew was deadly to them and not say a word? I say that just as surely as the Apostle Paul was a debtor, we're a debtor because of the goodness of God to us and because of our knowledge that we've been given. And folks, we're a debtor because of Christ's command to us. Again, most of us know it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even 
to the end of the world. Christ has commanded us. He has commanded us to go. First of all, teaching all nations, teaching them the gospel, the good news, that they need to be saved, teaching them that they need to be baptized, not because it will make them more of a Christian. That's the very first step of obedience that every child of God takes. And then continuing to teach them, to disciple them, all things whatsoever I command you, that they might be strong in that Christian faith. I'm saying God has commanded that of us. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Folks, Paul said, I am a debtor. I owe a debt. I am under obligation to give the gospel. For him, at that moment in time, it was to the city of Rome. For you and I in our day, it's right where we are. And to the ends of this world, we need to go because of God's goodness because of the knowledge that we've been blessed with, because Christ commanded us to do so, we owe a debt. Are we going to be honorable to that debt? You know, in this world, people can choose to honor those debts or they can choose not to honor them. How many, how, how many of you think highly of somebody that, that goes out borrowing money from everybody else but never pays it back? The honor comes in being honorable to the debts that we owe. I am debtor. But he said, secondly here, I am ready. He knows that he owes a debt, but he's ready to preach. Why is he ready? Well, you know, anything that you go to do, we've been talking about holidays. We've got a lot of people that are away on holiday and whatnot. Well, you know, if you're going to go on holiday, you got to make some plans to get ready for it. You got to make arrangements for where you're going to stay. You got to make arrangements for how you're going to get there. You got to make arrangements for what you're going to take with you in order to go. I can remember when you grew up in a rural area like I came from. I used to, I used to love a lot of the outdoor sports. I loved fishing and hunting and that type thing. You know, I, I just love. I could go out there and and stay on the lake all day long and and catch those fish. But you know, I could have decided that I wanted to go fishing all I wanted to. But I'd look pretty stupid if I got out there in that boat and I didn't bring along my tackle box and my rod and reel. Or maybe I did bring that. But I didn't bother to stop and pick up any bait along the way. So I'm out there with all my equipment, but I got no bait to catch those fish with. I used to love hunting season when deer season would come in. What I liked even more than, than, than hunting the deer with, with the guns was, was to go back to the old way and use, use the bows and arrows. And for weeks coming up to, to, to hunting season with, with the, uh, the bows and arrows, we used to start getting ready. There were actually several of us in our church that, that worked together at one place. And one of the brothers, myself, we really, really enjoyed deer hunting. And we enjoyed bow season particularly. And so for weeks before the deer season even opened, we'd be out there on our breaks at our lunchtime and all those things. We'd be out behind the place. We'd have the targets all set up. And, boy, we were out there just firing away trying to, Trying to get ready. Well, those arrows would come somewhere close to the middle of that target. <laughs> didn't do any good to go hunting. You didn't get ready. Not only have your equipment ready, but be ready to use it. 
Apostle Paul's just making common sense here. First of all, he has a debt of obligation that he's going to pay. His own honor is staked on it. But he's ready. He's ready to go to them. He's ready to preach. The word ready here in our text, it really carries the idea of being eager, of looking forward to it. We sometimes use the terminology of, of just chomping at the bits. In other words, he had an obligation, but boy, he was eager and excited about being able to fulfill that obligation. I'm ready to go to Rome. I'm ready to preach to them. He wasn't just going on a sightseeing trip either. It wasn't just because it was a nice place to go. Why was he so eager and ready to go? Because he wanted to share the gospel with them. He knew what the gospel could do for them. He knew how it could change their life. He, his delight was in sharing the good news of what Jesus Christ had done for him. There's not an individual that's ever been saved that shouldn't be able to tell somebody else how to be saved. You know, you don't have to be a theological genius. You've got to have understood the gospel enough for it to be applied to you. And if you knew how to do it, then you know how to tell somebody else to do it. We don't have to wait to start sharing the gospel. Paul said he was ready. Well, a lot of times people say, yeah, he was an apostle. I mean, you know, he was a, he was a superhuman. I mean, look, look, look at all the Bible that we've got written from him and all this. I'm just me. I'm just ordinary. I'm not an apostle Paul. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul said about himself when he was writing to the church at Corinth. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's some persuasive people in this world. I mean, just look. You don't have to look too far back. You don't have to look too far out. It's amazing what people can be convinced to do. I mean, who would have ever believed if you were talking about him? What was his name? Oh, Jim Jones all those years ago that was able to convince all those people to drink funny Kool-Aid and just commit suicide, a whole group of them. People can be convinced to do some pretty silly things with man's persuasion. Paul said, hey, I came to you. Yeah, I was afraid. Yeah, I stumbled. I, I didn't have all these enticing words that I could entice you with. I just came to you in the power of the Spirit. I just let God use me. You see, the truth is, God don't want your enticing words. <laughs> he don't want what you can do. He wants you to be ready to go because you're ready for God to do a work through you. You're ready for God to use you for who you are. When you go out there with those people with this news, you better be real. What you're getting across to them be something that, yes, they need to be convinced of it, but not because of your fancy words and all your simplicity, because of the power of God upon your life. How can you know? How can you tell? 
if you're ready, eager to share Christ with others. I guess that, you know, just like everything else in our Christian faith, first of all, it's going to begin in your heart. Do you really care? Do you really care? Those people that you know, they're condemned already if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their eternity is already marked out. You know, sometimes I believe that's the first thing we need to pray for. God, help me care more. Give me a greater burden. Break me. Make me have compassion over these people. That's what Jesus had when he looked upon the multitudes. He had compassion. He hurt deep down inside himself because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The danger that they were in. No one to lead them. No one to protect them. We need to be praying for the unsaved. We'll never be ready. We don't, first of all, have that burden in our hearts so much that we're genuinely falling on our knees and our face before God and crying out for God to save them. You can't. There's nothing you can do within yourself. There's no fancy formulas for winning people to Christ. It takes the power of God working through your life. And the truth is, it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. If we don't care enough that we actually will bother to get down upon our knees and pray for God to save their souls and pray for God to use us to be able to reach them, this information that we have, yes, we're under a debt because we know the goodness of God. We're under a debt because we know the consequences. We have a knowledge of what their life will be with Christ and what it will be without Christ. And our Lord, His last marching order to us was to go to them and to give them the same good news that, that saved our souls. Are we ready? Are we eager? Are we desirous to go out there and share the gospel with everybody that we possibly can? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I'm a debtor. I'm under an obligation, but I'm eager. I'm ready to go and to share the gospel with them at Rome because I know what the gospel can do for them. We need to ask God to give us the opportunities to speak to those that we're praying for, to speak to those that he'll bring our way. We need to be ready. I mean, we ought to have on our person Maybe you can't go around with your big two-foot Bible under your arm all the time while you're at work. But you can carry a testament in your pocket or your purse. You can carry some gospel tracts that will give the simple plan of salvation some simple tools. didn't do me any good to go out there fishing or hunting if I left all the equipment behind. We need to be ready when we're talking to people. Do we attempt to at least try to Steer the conversation towards spiritual things or are we happy just jesting and talking about everything in the world? We know they're lost. We know they need to be saved. We need to be trying to steer that conversation, to bring them into a position of where they're, they're willing to talk about it. We need to be looking for and grabbing every opportunity that the Lord gives us. We need to be inviting people. You nervous about talking? Well, it's not hard to invite somebody to come along to church. I'll gladly tell them how they need to be saved. Invite people that you know. 
They need to meet other Christians. They need to be under the preaching of the gospel. How many people do we invite along that that might happen in their lives? And of course, be ready. We need to be living a life that's consistent with what we're preaching and what we're claiming. Doesn't do any good to tell them how much you love the Lord. <laughs> tell them how important it is in your life. And yet to be showing something entirely different of the lives that we're living. I want to tell you something. If Christ doesn't make a difference in your life, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If Christ doesn't make a difference in your life, why should anybody else want him? They don't see what he's done. I know we're not perfect. Man, I, I, I mess up so much, you know, I, I get fed up with myself sometimes. But as we said this morning, you know, to be successful, we've got to put our past failures behind us. Success starts somewhere. We find that we wonder why we don't witness more. Maybe there's no real eagerness in our heart to do so. We talk about it because we know that we're supposed to because that's what good Christians do. But you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And it wasn't a choice. He was under a debt to share the gospel. But he was ready and eager to do so. He was looking forward to sharing the gospel with him. Then I want you to look at this one other thing that he says, I am debtor. I am ready. He says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of who I am in Christ. I'm not ashamed of sharing the gospel with them. May I say to you, too many Christians today, they're ashamed to share the gospel because they're afraid of what somebody else might think. Paul wasn't ashamed. And yet, he faced far more persecution than you and I do. I, I, I can't remember who to give credit to where I first heard it, but I've, I've heard it from several different places and reading it and hearing it over the years that, man, every time the Apostle Paul entered a city, there was either a riot broke out or a revival, and sometimes both. You know, things weren't the same when he got there. Sometimes people were upset, very upset. So upset they wanted him shut up and locked away to where he could quit causing those problems. But people's lives were also changed because he was coming under the power of the Holy Spirit. He was coming with a message that would change lives. That same power that we've been talking about for some weeks now. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. You see, it's the gospel that will bring people to salvation. Nobody has ever been saved without the good news of the gospel. It's impossible. That's where it's at. We find that the only place that a person can find out. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Folks, that's everybody we come in contact with. 
They're either a believer or a non-believer. And if they're not a believer, then they don't have life. And the wrath of God rests upon them. Salvation. I believe with all my heart. I know that there's different theological views, but I believe with all my heart that it's not God's will that any should perish. That salvation is available to all whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile, wherever they come from in the world, whatever language they speak, whatever color that they are, whatever education level they are, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. God, we hear a lot in our days. We have to be politically correct. We have to be equal opportunity. Nobody's ever more equal opportunity than God. When it comes to salvation, we're all in the same condition and it takes the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he came for. We find that the Bible says that righteousness that comes from God, we read it there earlier, is revealed by faith. Eternal life, it only comes through faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul's simply saying here, hey, folks, boy, there's not a bone in me that's ashamed to share the gospel. I have a debt to share this gospel with everybody. Because of the goodness of God and what he's done for me, I need to share that with people. Because of the knowledge that I have of the consequences of either believing it or not believing it, I'm a debtor. I owe it to people to share it to them. I'm a debtor. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ left here and went back to heaven, he left me with that responsibility to take the gospel to every creature. I owe it to him, but I'm eager and I'm ready to go and I'm ready to share it and I'm prepared to do so because I am not ashamed that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross, that they put him in the grave and that he rose the third day. I'm not ashamed of that and I'm not ashamed to share it with anybody that God will give me the opportunity to share it with. See, we worry so much about what people think. We worry about people rejecting us. We worry that we're going to upset somebody. Folks, if the gospel, if it's the truth that we stake our eternities upon, then there's no hope for anyone without it. I jotted down this simple question. Ask yourself this, honestly. Which is better? That you share the gospel with somebody, they get angry with you, they get upset with you. The seed of truth, the only thing, the only seed that can ever truly give them life has been planted because you were not ashamed to share it with them. It didn't matter what they thought. Or would you rather them think that you're such a grand person and never have that truth and let them spend an eternity in hell? You see, that's what it really boils down to. They might get angry. They might get upset. They might shun you. They might tell you to mind your own business. But Brother Romani, if you've honestly, genuinely shared the gospel with them, there's a seed there that they can never get away from. They know the truth. Without it, there's no hope for them. They're dead. There's no hope of life because the gospel is the only thing that can give it to them. 
Are we so concerned of what they think about us right now if it could honestly cost them eternity? You see, I promise you this. Just as sure as I'm standing here, gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I want to tell you something. If you are not ashamed to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to change somebody's life. It's going to change somebody's life. You might make a dozen. You might make hundreds of people mad at you. You share the gospel. There's going to be a heart that's ready and willing and receptive. And I'm telling you this, that if you spend the rest of your life sharing the gospel, and if thousands upon thousands reject it, get angry and upset with you, but if one person, if one person believes it and accepts it, that's one person that will not spend an eternity in hell. That's one person that will have life everlasting that maybe you wouldn't have had. You'd been ashamed to share it in the first place. Is it worth? What's it worth? One person? A hundred people? A thousand people? Being upset with you? What's it worth to keep one soul out of an eternity in hell? We need to realize. We need to realize, first of all, the great responsibility that we have. I'm saying this evening that Folks, as Christians, these three simple things that he's saying on his way to Rome, man, I'm a debtor. For all kinds of different reasons, I'm a debtor. I'm ready and eager to pay that debt. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know what it can do for a life. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord. I know that these thoughts have been simple. I know that, Lord, that we've looked at three simple phrases that the apostle wrote here. And, Lord, I know there's things that we've probably all heard before. But, Lord, it's your word. Lord, I know that this preacher in this pulpit this evening, I know that, Lord, he needs to take heed. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would help and work in our hearts. Lord, that just as the Apostle Paul, we'd realize the debt we have because of the goodness, the greatness of what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to be excited about that and to know that we need to share it because it's, it's just too good not to share. Lord, help us. Help us to do it because not only are we in debt because of the greatness, Lord, we're indebted because of what you've shown us, the truth that's been opened up to us and knowing the consequences of not having this truth. Lord, we know something. We know where their lives are headed without it. We know what the end consequences will be. Father, how can we not? Share them and show them what's before them. And Lord, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you left this world to go back to heaven. You left us here to do your work. Your last words to us was to go to them.
to take that gospel message to them, to see them baptized, to see them growing in the faith that they then in turn can go out and share it with others. Lord, I pray. I pray that you'd help us as the Apostle Paul in realizing the debt that we owe. Help us, Lord, to be ready, to be eager, to go out there and to share the gospel with every human being that we possibly can. To be ready, Lord, to go equipped, to go with the tools, to go to share the greatest truth known to mankind. Lord, help us to have that eagerness in our hearts. Lord, and help us not to be ashamed. We know that many will reject it. Many will make light of us. But Lord, we know that it's the only thing that can ever, ever, ever offer them life. Help us to be willing to sow those seeds even when it's not appreciated, when it's not wanted. Help us, Lord. Help us not to be ashamed because of the consequences that it might bring to us. Help us to be reminded of the importance of that soul for all of eternity. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.